Well, we are live. Uh, Maria, welcome. How are you doing Thank today? Thank you. Great, great. So happy to be here. I'm so glad we're meeting and I'm so glad we're going to talk about the O-1 visa. I think that's it's an extremely important visa category that a lot of people don't know about. Or if they don't, if they do know about it, they don't realize that they might actually be eligible for it. And so I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I think Owen is something that a lot of people should uh, learn about and explore in a very, very serious way, or at minimum, you know, start preparing towards it. Even if you don't qualify today, you can work towards it. I mean, and we're going to talk a lot about that. And I'm so glad you're here to tell us all about it. So the format of this conversation, um, as we discussed, is we're going to have a podcast-style conversation for the next 20, 30 minutes and chat about a few different things. Uh, there are people joining us in the audience. They will ask; they, they are free to ask questions in the chat, which we can address towards the end. But uh, let's get going. Um, well, let's start with start with you. I would love to hear about uh, you. You know, Maria, your background, where are you from, what what's your journey been uh, so far, and how why why immigration law. <laughs> Great question. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And listen, I'm an immigrant myself. Um, I'm from Paraguay. I live in Colombia and Spain before moving to the United States. And I understand. I understand how immigrants feel. I understand the struggles. And again, I was a foreign attorney. I moved to the States. I needed to start from scratch. So I know exactly how every single immigrant feels. And then, you know, I got lucky. I got accepted at the University of Miami School of Law. You know, I'm a business immigration attorney now. My firm is in Miami, so I'm connecting from Miami. Um, and when I was doing law school, I did an internship in a law firm that specialized in immigration law. And I was like, this is it. <laughs> this is it. Because before, before starting law school, I had some issues with my immigration uh, paperwork as well. I had to hire an attorney. I had a hard time finding the right attorney. Um, and I just, I just knew when I started that, that job, I knew that was for me and I, I fell in love with it and I found my mission, you know, and trying to help others, other immigrants to achieve their American dreams. And that's what we're doing. That's, that's amazing. So uh, how long have you been practicing immigration law now? Since 2014, I started law school, yeah, mm -hmm. since 2014 in Miami, but I have, you know, clients all over the United States and abroad. And are there certain areas of immigration law that you focus on? Yeah, I do only business immigration uh, cases, but I would say 60, 60, 70% of my practice is only all one visas EV1, A visa for extraordinary cases, and also EV2 national interest waivers. I also do labor certification, mm -hmm. H1B, E2 visas, but I would say most of my practice is for extraordinary cases. If we get time, we should touch upon NIW as well. I think that's also another topic that a lot of people Absolutely. I just got an approved today, yeah. and the case was filed three months ago. No RFE got approved for a that's biomedical awesome. engineer. Thank you. So why, but why, uh, why O1, EB1A, NIW, why is that your area of focus? Is there a specific reason? Listen, um, as an immigrant, I feel so grateful to be in the United States. And I feel like when we come to this country, we need to come to also contribute to society. And I feel like I just fell in love when I was doing these cases because the things that uh, people do that qualify for these type of visas, it's just amazing. Um, 
For example, the case that we just told you that just got approved today for a biomedical engineer from, uh, from Chile, actually, they're working on a pioneering product that definitely is going to improve sports medicine in the United States. And I feel like helping him to get his green card, even if my, you know, my contribution is this little, this little bit, I feel like I'm also saying to the United States, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here and to achieve my American dream. And that's why I love so much those cases. And, you know, to, for me, it's not a job. Honestly, I enjoy so much. That's 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 beautiful. What you just said, right? It's true. I mean, Owen visa, of course, by definition, is meant for individuals like that. Is meant to bring the best of the people into into this country so that they can contribute to the country and uh, you know make it even better. And I personally feel very very strongly about that. Like I I love this country, and I'm sure you do as well. And uh, I genuinely, truly, deeply believe that immigration is a very important aspect of the U.S. experience and, you know, the idea of America even. And Owen visa is just ideal for that. And by helping people get the Owen visas, we are really allowing them to express their talent and utilize and leverage their talent in the fullest way possible. I've heard so many stories of, frankly, immigrants who just a few weeks ago, somebody told me, you know, I've lost the fight in me. And it saddened me so much to hear that for him to say that, that they have lost the fight or the spirit in themselves because they've been struggling with the H-1B visa for such a long time and they're just struggling for survival. And I, I feel like the Owen visa is, an, is a wonderful way out for a lot of people. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm so glad that uh, you're, you're focusing on that specific visa category. I agree. I agree. I have over the years, I helped so many people with H-1B status doing the transition to EB-1A. Because for whatever reasons, you know, the labor certification process takes so long, the employer uh, are not willing, the employers are not willing to do a labor certification process, and they're just trying to find a solution. And, you know, I'm so happy that I was able to get those cases approved when other attorneys sometimes will say, no, listen, I don't think you have a good case. Um, definitely, you know, O-1 visas, EB-1As, or EB-2 national interest waivers, no for everybody. But even if you don't qualify today, I agree with you that you can work on your resume and maybe it's a solution in the short or long term. So maybe let's start with that at, at you know, first, as far as the O-1 visa specifically is concerned, you made the comment that in a lot of cases, attorneys tell their clients that you're not qualified for O-1 visa. And it sounds like you find that not to be the case. They are in fact qualified. So tell us a little bit about that. Why do, like, it's it's almost as if there are certain myths surrounding the O-1 visa. And a lot of Correct. attorneys, um, you know, wrongly, in some cases, advise their clients that they're not qualified when they could be. So why is that? Why is that um, notion out there? And what do you, can you maybe give even give some examples of cases in which somebody came to you and they qual they were qualified and then they actually got the O-1 visa? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel the reason maybe, and you know, I, I cannot be certain, but maybe it's because it's not easy. Getting an O-1 visa, it requires a lot of documentation and you really need to show that you are the best in your field. And the way that I noticed that I was, I've been able to win these cases is there's a famous saying that says, the riches are in the niches. So basically, if the, and um, we're talking about here entrepreneurs and professionals, 
it has the field of expertise has to be very specific and narrow. And when you are able to do that for the client, then is when I see an O1 case. Um, and I feel like that takes practice and it's not easy sometimes, specifically in the STEM community um, and the technology, you know, professionals in the technology industry. It's, 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 a, it's a complex business. Sometimes maybe it's not very clear. And you really, as an attorney, we really need to take the time to understand our client's expertise. And based on that, develop the best strategy. So maybe that is one reason why, because it's not very easy to get it. And also, if there are other options like the H-1B or the L-1A or for whatever reason, it's just more, more like more common for the attorney to say, listen, you're, you, you know, you have a computer science degree, you just graduated, well, H-1B, right? Uh, but I would, uh, for a professional that has more experience and has worked in very important projects or with important companies or brands, you know, why not? For example, and, and, and we can talk about more what exactly is the O-1 visa, but I'm just gonna give you a very quick example uh, of a client who he had H-1B for a long time and then, you know, he was running out of time and he needed to find a solution. And he he's a computer science um, engineer. Um, his expertise was in startups. And I don't want to go into details about so much about what he's doing, because otherwise, I'll, <laughs> you know, I'm going I'm to tell you who he is, basically. But in his case, all the attorneys told him, you do not qualify because most of his work was behind the scenes. Okay, so he was not in the spotlight. So those cases are hard, but uh, that doesn't mean that you don't qualify for the old one. And for example, one of the, we can talk about the requirements, but just to, to finalize that example, one of the requirements says that the, the person needs to prove that it has been employed in a critical or essential capacity for organizations and establishment that have distinguished reputation. Critical or essential. They're not saying you had to be the CEO of the company, right? So I feel like there is a lot of room for argument in the regulations, but it requires creative uh, arguments sometimes, depending on the case. Let's start from the top then. What is O-1 visa? Excellent. So the O-1 visa is a non-immigrant work visa, like the H-1B. It can be approved for up to three years and it can be extended almost indefinitely, which is the beauty of the O-1, right? And is available for a foreign national who possesses extraordinary ability in any field, science, arts, education, business, athletics, pretty much everybody, okay? Um, and it requires an employer that uh, who is willing to sponsor him for a full-time job in the United States or it requires an agent if the person is going to develop their own business or if they're going to work for different employers. So that's also another beautiful thing about the O-1 visa because it gives you that flexibility that the H-1B doesn't have, right? Um, and the agent can be pretty much any person. A, U, a person with a U.S. passport can be an agent and it doesn't have to be the person in the same field, which is also... Um, an additional flexibility that the O-1 visa has that, uh, you know, opens a lot of opportunities. Um, so if you have that, then 
the law says that, that to qualify for an O-1 visa, you need to meet at least three of the requirements listed on the law. So I'm going to go over those very quickly, if you don't mind. So number one, uh, documentation of the beneficiary receipt of national or international recognized prizes of awards, documentation of the beneficiary membership in association in the field, which require outstanding achievements of the members. Three, published material in professional or major trade publications uh, or major media about the beneficiary relating to his or her work. Four, beneficiaries participation on panel or um, as a judge uh, of the work of others in the same or similar field. Um, original contribution, um, uh, original uh, scientific or business related contributions are major significant in the field. Authorship of articles in the field has been employed in critical essential capacity, which I just mentioned, and has commanded a high salary or will be command a high salary or other remunerations on these services. These are the requirements. And as I said, if we can establish and prove with documents at least three, maybe we have a very good O1 case. And so that's three of 10 criteria? Did you list 10 eight. criteria? Eight for the eight, O1. The, the EB1A, which is a green card version, which is very similar, it has 10. But the O1 mm -hmm. has eight. Correct. And so yeah, I just and, want to touch mm -hmm. upon some, sorry, go, go ahead, please finish. No, no, I would just say that there are different ways to prove that because when we read the law, the regulation, sometimes like it's not very clear. So it's a case by case analysis. So I want to touch upon something you said right at the beginning in terms of who can apply for the O-1 visa, either an employer or you said an agent. So does that mean that you can essentially or rather you cannot self-sponsor the O-1 visa? You do need at minimum somebody with a U.S. passport to quote unquote sponsor you for the O-1 visa. Correct, so there are many ways to do it. And correct, the O-1 does not allow self-sponsoring. So meaning I have my own LLC and I petition my O-1 visa. That is not gonna work. But there are ways to do it. And this is completely, you know, the regulations allow this. So basically if you have your own LLC, right? As an entrepreneur, or you're gonna provide services or even if you don't, and you're gonna work for different employers in the United States, you need an agent. And if you have an agent, the agent can be a US person, anybody. Can be also a US company, any US company. And sometimes even the company that is owned by a foreigner, right? But if that's the mm -hmm. case, we need additional documentation. For example, let's say, um, I'm an H-1B visa and, you know, I go laid off. I'm going to open my own consulting business. I'm going to have my own LLC. Maybe I have a partner and I want, maybe I'm eligible for the O-1 visa and I want to apply for this. So that is a doable case as long as I can show at least some letters of intent from potential customers. And the reason why I do it like that, that's, that's my strategy because um, immigration, immigration doesn't like when the job is a speculative, meaning, okay, you had your LLC, you know, O-1 doesn't allow self-petition. Okay. You have a partner. Okay. Maybe you have an agent, but I, okay. But I, who is going to hire your services? 
So that's why if you don't have a full-time employ, um, employment offer of a specific company in the U.S., you have an agent and, you know, potential potential um, list of activities or you have your LLC, a potential list of customers, then we may be able to still do the old one. Mm-hmm. What does the process look like? Maybe walk us through the process a little bit. Say someone who's listening to this says, well, let me explore. Let me call up Maria, have a conversation with her and let me explore this. Walk us through what happens from that point of time onwards, in ter- you know, going from today to then actually uh, um, applying and then getting the Owen visa in terms of the time it takes, the steps it takes. What, what does exactly. the entire process look like? Okay, so the first step is doing the consultation because as I said, this has to be analyzed on a case-by-case scenario. And sometimes when I review the resume and I speak with a person, I already see whether or not it's very easy for me to see whether or not I see a case. And, but most of the time also, it depends on the client if the client has the right documents. It happens to me that the person definitely qualified, but the person unfortunately lost all his documentation, so we couldn't do it, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to be able to prove your case. So once we somebody hires our services, typically an O-1 case can be prepared in 60, 90 days. However, in times of emergencies, I prepare cases in 10 business days. So it can be prepared very quickly. We definitely need a lot of help from the clients because it requires extensive documentation, uh, but it's, it's doable if, it's, if there's an emergency. Now, when we file the case, how long it takes to get it approved. So um, probably many of uh, the listeners are familiar with the H-1B visa and th- that it allows the premium processing, meaning, a result in 15 days, within 15 days. So that is available in the O-1 visa. So technically within 15 days, if you are already in the United States and you want to transition from the H-1B or you are already in the grace period or other option, other visa, and you want to transition to the O-1, maybe within 15 days, you're gonna know the answer. The answer can be an approval or immigration can, uh, can request more evidence, but uh, it can be as fast as that. So in a very optimistic scenario, somebody listening to this who might qualify could get their own approved within 25 days then. So 10 days to prepare the case in a very optimistic scenario. You said in some cases you could prepare it in 10 days. So in 10 days, prepare the case, file it, and then in 15 days, get the get the adjudication. So within a month, somebody could have the Owen visa in a highly in optimistic be- scenario. Yeah. In the best case scenario, when the client is very helpful and he has all the documentation ready to go, that is doable. Is it, Everybody has to work very hard, but it is doable. Definitely. I had a case, uh, my client, we fight for an ED1A extraordinary case, and the client has everything ready to go. Uh, and his I-94 was about to expire. So we had no option. So we filed the case within 10, 15 days, and it got approved in three days. But trust me, it was a lot of work, but it's doable. It's doable. Is there is there any dependency on any external parties to prepare the case? Or is it yes, just between that, you and the client? That's, that's, that can be one of the biggest challenge for the, for the O-1 visa. That's why most of the time I tell the clients three months. Why? Because some cases, if uh, the client doesn't have a lot of documentation, sometimes we need letters from experts 
that have first hand knowledge of the accomplishment of the person and drafting the letters is not the problem, but sometimes getting the letter signed is what it takes some time, depending on the, the person. So that can be a delay there. Interesting. And once someone gets the Owen visa, what does that mean for um, the green card? Does it does the person automatically qualify for the EB1A green card? Uh, walk us through that a little bit. Great question. It doesn't automatically qualify, but it definitely it sets the right foundation. The green card option for extrainability, which is the EB1A, the standard is higher, meaning getting approved on no one is less difficult than getting an EB1A approved. But if you already have your O1 approved, it is sometimes very likely that you may have also an EB1A case. That is not exact, that's not always the case. Some cases, some clients have great O1 cases, but they do not have a, a good EB1A cases. But in my experience in the business world for professionals and people in the STEM community, if they have a good O1, they very likely also have an EB1A. That's excellent. What, um, if you could walk, uh, share just quickly what the costs associated with this are, because I believe they can be onerous in in on in visas, the costs. So Correct. can you give us a sense for what it what it costs to apply to the visa? Absolutely, no problem. The, the the legal fees depends on the complexity of the case. There are cases that are easier to prove and also require more work. Um, it requires extensive research and a lot of letters and more work basically. So some of the cases can start at six thousand five hundred and it can be as expensive as 8,500, depending on the complexity of the case. But that is approximately the range. And that's just the legal fees. That's just the legal that's fees. The legal fees. That's the legal fees. And the filing fees is 460, the USCIS fee. Mm -hmm. And if the person are will, the person who wants to do premium is 2,500. Interesting. I think it'll be useful, Maria, to maybe give a few, uh, one or two additional examples of unexpected, if you will, O1 visa qualifications, right? Your clients or stories that you've heard, because I think it's important for everyone listening to be able to relate. Um, so Absolutely. especially in the STEM field, if you can give a few examples of uh, typically people who are on H1Bs and they unexpectedly qualified for O1, what did their situation look like? And they qualified because I think that will help a lot of people assess whether how far or close they are to actually qualifying for the own visa. So let's absolutely. start with that. And then yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share a few, uh, few um, facts about some cases that got approved in the STEM community. But before going there, I just wanted to mention very quick that very, you know, very few weeks ago, I would say, or maybe, a, I don't know if it was already a couple of months ago, um, it was actually a few months ago, but back in uh, last July, USCIS updated their policies specifically to allow and to make it easier O1 petition for people in the STEM field. So yeah. that's something very important to keep in mind that basically USCIS opened the door now um, about this. And basically what they did is with this new memo, they give specific examples of what kind of evidence or what kind of documentation will help the person to qualify. 
So just to go back to the example to respond to your questions. So I have this case that I mentioned earlier, which he was in H1B for a long time. He was a computer engineer. He has a specialization in software engineering, and he worked in startup companies in Latin America and also here um, in the United States, specifically in New York. And his big background was very interesting because I think his background abroad was, which helped him a lot for his EB1 case. He was a professor abroad and he was also a tutor of multiple theses in um, university abroad. He was also, you know, jury member of multiple competitions, including business bank competitions. And when he was in the States, he abandoned a little bit that, 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 part of his career, but uh, he really, really played critical roles in developing uh, new products. And he was not the spotlight, he was not on the news, but uh, he was able by, by playing a great role and having great connections with his supervisors and the CEO and the founders of the companies and the investors and everybody else knew him, he was able to show that uh, his role was critical. Again, he was not the spotlights. He was not the news. You know, nobody knew about him. He was completely behind the scene. That said, his role was very important for the success of the company. And that was documented with a lot of experts, letters, letters of recommendation, and his case got approved. And that way, he <laughs> he was able to transition from the H1B to the EB1 case. Another example, very quickly, also a computer engineer. She, um, this is a lady, and she was... Um, she has a specialization in artificial intelligence, and uh, pretty much she worked in the healthcare industry her whole career. And again, she was one of those persons working behind the scenes. And when I saw her case, I said, listen, your case is a great EV2 national interest waiver case, specifically mm -hmm. for the project that she was uh, being offered to do in the United States. And she, she was not happy about that when I told her that. And she said, don't you think I have an EV1A case? You know, I have this award. I was in the news in my country in this. You know, I make this much money. Um, I presented in multiple conferences, all these things. And I said, listen, I think your EV1 case is not very strong. I think your case is an EV2 national interest waiver. And she insisted, right? And, and, and showed me a lot of the documents she had. We ended up filing the EV1A and got approved. So that was another example. And it was funny because in that case, I did not believe it was a good EV1A and right. she, she proved me wrong, right? And one recent example is about this guy. He's a, a data science expert. And he told me, like, like, like you told me earlier, I don't have an EV1 case. What are you talking about? I need to do a H1B. I'm like, no, you do have an EV1 case. And, um, and in, 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 in it was a it was a great case, um, and his expertise is data science, data mm -hmm. science. So I think it's a lot of opportunities in the STEM field, but again, um, the riches are in the niches. It's very important to define the field of expertise. Maria, could you very briefly touch upon NIW EB two NIW? What is that? Uh, what are the advantages? Uh, why should somebody be thinking about the NIW option? Yeah, the NAW option is great for somebody who has a strong credentials and a lot of experience and they have a, at least a bachelor's degree and five years of professional experience. And if the person doesn't have a strong evidence to establish an EB1A. 
What is the main difference between the EB2 National Interest Waiver and the EB1A? The main difference is that the, this is a question. What is you going to be doing in the United States if your green card gets approved? If you can show that that project, that job, or that research project you're going to be doing in the United States justifies or justifies, or we can explain that is in the interest of the United States to bring you here to do that, then you may have a good EB2 National Interest Waiver case. That said, my main concern with the National Interest Waiver visa is that it's extremely subjective. So it's extremely important what you're going to be doing in the United States. What is your project? Versus if you do an EB1A case, you only need to have the intention to keep working in your field. Yeah, I was a computer uh, science engineer. This is my expertise, and I'm planning to be doing the same in the United States. That's it. So that is amazing, right? Uh, but again, if somebody doesn't doesn't qualify for the EB1A, maybe it's a good idea to explore the EB2 National Interest Waiver. Excellent. One more question, and then we'll transition to some of the questions from the audience. And anyone listening, please, again, ask your questions in the chat or feel free to call in as well once we get to the Q&A section. So the last question, Maria, for you is, what advice do you have for people who um, genuinely may not qualify for the O-1 visa today? Is there, especially folks early in their career, what can they do tangibly? What, what advice would you have for them to start working towards an O-1 visa? Because you can work towards an O-1 visa as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, document your achievements. Maintain and develop good business relationships with your with your coworkers, your supervisors, colleagues. You know, attend networking events where you can meet other people that are in the industry, and you can also volunteer. For example, the other day I was looking at um, um, here in Miami, they were looking for volunteers for mentors for startups companies, right? And if you have a specific expertise, maybe you can volunteer. You can become a judge of, of competitions, business line competitions, for example, is they're always trying to find um, judges. You can start teaching the university. You can maybe perhaps deciding to go to grad school and develop a, a great research project that may enable you to do a national interest waiver case, depending on the, your research project. Um, you can start writing articles. Like there, for example, this guy that I told you that um, I go the if one case, he's a data a data science expert. He, for example, he's um, um, he writes articles of Forbes, right, in Spanish, uh, Forbes for Latin America. But he he's an author and he writes articles there for business people. So um, there are so many ways to start building your resume if you are looking to eventually do the transition for one of this, the, these cases. Also, why not? If there are competitions or there are member, there are organizations in your, in your field, for example, um, I mentioned earlier that um, USCS last July issued a new guidance about all one petition on the STEM fields. One of the things, I'm gonna read it for you here very quickly, they say, for example, when they talk about memberships, that uh, as a possible example, membership in the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, 
right, at the fellow level may qualify. Also, they say membership as a fellow in the Association for the Advancement of Artificial Intelligence also may qualify as a membership for an O-1 visa. So it's very important to become familiar with this because there are many ways to prove your case. Wow, I think getting, becoming a fellow in IEEE is quite doable. Wow. Okay. So I think that's, that's a very important message. I think what you just said there and earlier as well is that USCIS has widened the eligibility boundaries for O1. I think is a very, very important message to get out there because that means a lot more people may qualify now for the O1 visa. Absolutely. Absolutely. For example, another example that USCIS listed is getting a scholarship for PhD programs um, Mm -hmm. or getting venture capital for startups. Um, funding funding for your business, for your startup, that also may qualify as an award for O-1 visa purposes. So I think it's critical to do a little bit of research, update your resume, and, you know, if you want to go further, speak with an attorney who handles O-1 cases. And so it can, the, the attorney can guide you to how you can improve your resume if you need to. Right. So I imagine on that point, people can reach out to you, um, even if they know for, for a fact that they don't qualify for O1, but they can reach out to you and uh, say, hey, Maria, can you Absolutely. advise me on what, what I can do in my special case to start working towards the O1 visa? Absolutely. In the next one, we can two, brainstorm together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can brainstorm together and I've done it. I've done it. Um, I have a client. He, he's a designer from Germany. Uh, he's now in the STEM field, but uh, we talk about it and he has a great credentials, but, uh, you know, he, um, he didn't meet the requirement for an EB1 case. And then right. after the conversation, he felt very motivated and he applied and he presented his product. He developed new products and he presented this in that very big design competition and he won. And guess what? He has a green card now. So, um, and he always, he, I remember he told me, right, after our, com- your, our conversation, I felt very motivated to to work on this. And, you know, he got this award and his EV1 case got approved without request for evidence. That was, uh, that was great. So it's always a good idea to research, work on your resume and speak with an attorney who can brainstorm with you about building your resume. Well, let's transition to some of the questions. We have a few questions in the chat. And again, if you are in the audience and you want to ask Maria a question right away, um, feel free to call in. Uh, You should see an option on your browser window to be able to do that. And I'll bring you up so that you can ask Maria the question directly. But just from the chat while we're waiting for that, um, Dave is asking, what are the number of papers or citations that are required for an O-1 visa? Listen, there's no specific number of citations. And I always tell this to the clients. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Because a, a client can have, well, let's talk about a different example. A client can have 50 newspaper article, but the newspaper article only cite him. It's not about him. It's not about his work, you know. So that's not going to is going to help to your one case, but it's not going to get it approved because it, because um, what happened is the O-1 requirements are so specific and it has multiple layers. So it's, again, it's not about numbers, it's more about quality. See? Someone is asking 
is Owen visa only for someone from the STEM background and not from non-STEM backgrounds, not for people from non-STEM backgrounds? That's a great question. Actually, the O-1 visa is available for everybody in the arts, in the science, business, education, sports, pretty much everybody. We have done cases for artists, musicians, painters, um, golfers, soccer players, um, designers, marketing people, like name it. So it's, it's available for everybody. What every if field, you I would on, say. <laughs> every field, right, right. You just have to be extraordinary and have achievements. And again, satisfy the one, three of the eight criteria. It really comes down to that. Exactly. Um, if you're already, if you have been working on H-1B visa or are on H-1B visa today, can you still be considered for an O-1 visa? I believe so. And again, I will, we, have, we will have to review the specifics of the case. And I remember this client who was working in the in the InsurTech business for a while in H-1B capacity. And before that, he was working at another big companies. And he was always, um, he, um, he was working in multiple capacities, but always playing a very important role in his specific department. And we were, we were able to transition from the H-1B to the EB-1A. Uh, that said, of course, the person requires a lot of documentation, right? He, um, he was, a he volunteered to be a judge for multiple, uh, startups and business plan competitions. He was a member of multiple, um, associations that were recognized in the field. Um, um, he attended, you know, Ivy league school. So and he has a lot of good recommendations. So having good relationships with your peers is definitely a plus. If in the past someone has worked in a position where they were a part of producing a paper in a certain field, but now they work in an entirely different sector, can they still qualify for the O-1 visa based on the prior work that was done that they were a part of? I have cases like that. And in my opinion, the secret is to be able to connect those fields. Okay. Um, for example, I have a client um, who was working in a specific industry, but at the same time, it was always the same thing. It was applying artificial intelligence and developing new product, da, 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 but it was two different industries. And we were able to connect both positions or were different, we were able to link those, you know, those uh, different um, fields that she developed and the case still got approved. Um, at the same time, I have another client who transitioned from the private sector to the public sector. So that was also a challenge. But again, the secret is to be able to link that expertise and, and explain the big picture to immigration. So it is doable but, sometimes. But the linkage is important if you, if you, you know, worst case scenario. Yeah, this is completely unrelated. You know, I was a doctor in my home country and now I'm an engineer here and something completely unrelated, then it's, it may be very tough. I have a client, mm -hmm. she was a golfer. So she had a P1 visa for a long time. And she, right now she's a life coach, nothing to do with sports very much. So it, it is a tough, it's a tough case because it's hard to explain the transition. Right. What about the nonprofit sector? Executives in nonprofit sector, do they qualify for the O-1 visa? 
It is doable. Um, it is doable. It depends on the, the background of the person. If the person already has that experience, um, has, for example, some received some interviews of the press for his work, they have been able to raise important funds for the organization. They are working on specific projects that are maybe very interesting or very trendy, like environmental issues, cultural issues, immigration issues. It is doable. It is doable. Um, again, it really, really depends on the specifics of the case, but it, it is possible. What about, I think this is perhaps a similar question, but what about someone who has a quote unquote blended background, has a STEM background as well as a business quote unquote business background, might they qualify for the O1 visa? Absolutely. In fact, the case that I was explaining of this guy who transitioned from the H1B to the EB1A, um, actually two of the cases that I'm thinking right now, they have a bachelor's degree in computer science and then they have an MBA. So they have that expertise, the technical, expertise that they were able to to use for their positions, but because they have the MBA and the business uh, training, they were able to uh, get these jobs in a higher level. So yes, it is doable. And uh, there's a last question here about uh, requirements for converting from EB2 to EB1A. I think, as Maria mentioned um, before, it really is a case-by-case evaluation. So you should, if you're really interested in this, get in touch with Maria and, um, you know, talk to her about your current status, what you've achieved, what not, and what the gap might be to, for you to work towards the EB1A or the O1. Um, I think Correct. that that really is the route to go because that's a very, it's really case dependent. So on that note, Maria, what, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way to contact you? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, they can email me. I think we, we can put uh, my email address in the chat. Also, you can go to my website, um, melgaltlaw.com, M-E-L-G-A, um, law, L-A-W.com. And, you know, my phone number, my email, my office is there. As I said, my office is in Miami, but we represent clients all over the United States and abroad. So happy to help. Excellent. Um, There's one more last moment question that has come in. O1 visa is also for persons who have interesting projects that they would like to execute in the U.S. Um, oh, so I, I, I guess the depends. question is, yeah. mm-hmm. I think it depends, right? I'm not, I'm not sure if I, under, I understood the, the question correctly. It depends. If you have a background um, in your home country uh, where you already developed something similar and you're trying to expand it or, de- or develop something similar in the United States, absolutely, yes. Actually, most of my clients in the tech business, that's their story. They have a business abroad and all their attorneys told them do an L1A, do an e-visa, invest, e-visa um, sorry, investor visa or do other things. And I'm like, no, let's do an O1, you know? And um, that's their story. They develop their own business abroad and then they came with their with their plan here in yeah yeah and, and said differently because i think the question is the person who's asking the question is um, was of the belief that it is really dependent on job offers but that's not necess- if i understand correctly oh. and correct me if i'm wrong it's not that's not the case if you have a background a strong background in something specialized and you want to do something in the same area general area then you might qualify for an o1 visa and yes you do need a company to 
sponsor that O1 visa or an agent to quote unquote agent to sponsor that visa, but you don't. It is not necessarily dependent on a job offer. Correct. For the O1 visa, it's different for the H1B. The H1B, you have to have a job offer for a U.S. company. The O1 visa, you you can have a job offer. You can have an agent with your own company and created your own project with your own clients, or you have an agent and you work for different companies. So there's many options to do it, depending of the of your project in the United States. Excellent. Well, those are all the questions uh, we have, Maria. I want to thank you. This was extremely fabulous. I think we covered a lot of ground, a lot of wonderful information that should get out there. We'll post the video on YouTube and a few other channels um, in the next couple of days. But I want to thank you again for taking time out from your busy busy schedule to come on and tell us about the one visa. Um, thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, I hope that was helpful for you guys and stay strong. Uh, sometimes it gets, it gets very dark. But sooner or later, you know, we can see the sun again. And if you need my help, I'm happy to to help you in anything I can. Thank you so much for the invite. Thank you.